I, I just want to share t with you today a couple of things. My time with you, has, we've gone a lot through the book of Philippians. And I don't want to uh, belabor Philippians except for, I, I, it, it's just interesting to me how that, it's like become my favorite book and I didn't realize it was until this summer. But I, I've seen how, um, how I, it almost just encapsulates everything. But what caught my attention as I was just kind of re re-going through Philippians in my own mind was the very beginning uh, of the book when Paul starts to introduce himself in that first chapter, reintroduce himself to this church, which like 10 years earlier he had helped plant. And then he, he had been really pretty much under some opposition. He left, went about his ministry, came back in five years later, and just had a real brief time with the Philippian church and then left again. And now he's in prison and he's writing these letters. And we think of Paul, you know, he's like this hard-charging guy. He's this guy who, um, you know, he's the, he's the alpha, he's, the, he's the, the driver, you know, that kind of thing. You don't think of him as very mushy and emotional. He doesn't have a big EI, you know, he's not a big emotional intelligence for the most part. He, and, and yet all of a sudden in the book of Philippians, you see that in him. And, and there's some things that come through there. And, um, and he has a prayer at the very beginning that I just kind of passed over that I, that I got stuck on it. And I wanted to go over that prayer with you because it's not only his prayer for the Philippian church, it's a great prayer for one community. And it's my prayer for you on this last uh, time that I'll be sharing with you for a while, at least. And, um, and what, what I didn't put on your, on your outline or whatever, and we're going to look in verses uh, nine, and 9 through 11, but in verse 8, Paul says this, um, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So before he gets ready to pray, he just says, God's my witness, how I, how I long for all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And uh, as, I, as I read that, I, you think, well, that's kind of mushy, Paul. You know, just kind of, I long for you. That's not, you know, that's not a real masculine thing. You know, I'm not going to stay up here, stand up here and just go, I long for you. You know, that, that's something that I might whisper to Lori on, on like anniversary nights or something. But you know, it's not. It's it's, it's hard for a man to say that kind of thing, you know. And uh, and so I kind of I studied that that just a little bit, just a tad bit. And that that long for is that is the is the idea of of striving, of reaching, of stretching like a like a runner in a race who's coming right to the finish line, and he and he stretches with everything he has or everything she has to reach the finish line and to, to, to win the race and to beat the competition. It's, it's like giving everything you have and when it's all over you just fall on the ground and you go, oh, man, I, I, gave, I gave everything I had to win this race. And, and here's Paul who just a few short, well, number of years ago before this was persecuting the church and now he's longing for the church. He's stretching with everything he has for this church not just to show him his love for them, but to show them the affection of Christ. So the church that he used to persecute because he was, he was thinking he was serving God that way, he, he finds Christ, and he now he just wants to show them, if anything else, the affection of Christ. I'll do anything to show you the affection of Christ. And I got to thinking as these last two or three months that, that had the privilege of being able to be with you, um, I don't, I don't fit nearly in the category of a, of a Paul, but I would, I, would, I would reiterate this much at least. What, what I strive for, what I've st strived for, striven for, strove for, 
tried to do, if nothing else, is, uh, is that you would know how valued you are by Jesus Christ. How, how the affection of Christ is so great for you. I've, I've, not, I've not been here because I've got these great, wild hopes and expectations and dreams for one community church. Um, even though I do have some of those. I'm not here because I wanted to keep the church going or because it's my job to kind of do this kind of thing or whatever reason. Other than I, I just can't, I can't get it out of my mind. I've not been able to get it out of my mind since I first met, went around the table here with some of you when you were dealing with some issues way back in the, in the spring even, um, that, that Christ loves this place. He loves you. He loves every one of you. He, he loves what this church is about. He loves the DNA of this church. He, he loves the mission that you have before you. He loves your past. He loves the transition time. He loves the future. He loves what he's going to eat. I just hope you can, you can get your mind around how much he loves you. And, um, and because of that, um, I, I've, 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 I've looked forward every week to being with you because I, I, just, I know you are the apple of God's eye through, through Jesus Christ. And so with that, Paul prays. And he prays a prayer in verse 9 through 11 that goes like this. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is my prayer, that you may, first, <coughs> excuse me, first of all, abound in love, that your love may be abounding. I mean, think back on Jesus. When Jesus sat with his disciples, he said, I, I've, got a new com- I've got a new commandment for you. It's like, yeah, we only got like 6,000 commandments, Jesus. Thanks for a new one. No, 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 this is a new one. Let me give you a new one. You've got you to love one another. You need to love whatever going on. I've got to love him. Are you kidding me? And it's like, the others are sitting there, love, no problem, love, you know, I... We love the Cardinals, we love tacos, we love chocolate, we love, you know, we, we I love, no. And then he throws, here's the can, not that you love one another, but that you love one another as I have loved you. Yikes. All of a sudden that takes it up a bit, doesn't it? As I have loved you. As I have loved you. In fact, he said, people will know you're my disciple if you love one another. That will be the key quality. And the, in the early church, I mean, love was what it was all about. People, people would come in and they would know they'd be cared. It, I mean, they didn't need mega churches in those days. They just needed a group of people that would get, sometimes in a catacomb, sometimes in a house, sometimes in a, in a little cave somewhere. But they would know they could come together and they would feel the love of Jesus in that place. And in that place, they would love someone. They'd either heal them in whatever thing they were going through or they would care for them and love them until they, till the day they died. But they knew there was hope and there was love in that place. And Paul, Paul goes to this church that's now going out to all of Europe, and he just says, my prayer for you is that your love may abound. It must be abounding love. That this may be a place, when, if there's no other rumor about this church, it's, it's this. That's the place they love you. That's the place love abounds. And so, may your love abound. May it May it just overflow. May there be a wellspring of the love of Christ 
that you know you're in, you're in the in the in the target of the affection of Christ, but that love of Christ just overflows through you. So there's a couple ways you can you can do that because love is a choice. You know, and love's more than a feeling. If you sit around waiting to love everybody, you're going to be waiting a long time. You got you got to make a choice of, of love, and it's an action kind of thing of that choice. So here's here's my encouragement as you as you become this place that love just abounds. Don't be grumpy. <laughs> Pretty practical way of being loving. Just don't be grumpy. And I, and I say that to you because I've been a pastor for a long time now. And, um, and I thought in, in my head that what makes sense is the longer someone serves the Lord, the longer someone goes to church, the longer someone goes to this whole thing called Christianity, the more joyful happy and loving they would be. Then that kind of, you'd think, the closer they'd get to Christ, the more. But here's what I've found. I'm not proud of this. I'm just telling you what I've found. That some of the people that have been in church the longest are the crankiest, grumpiest, <laughs> most unenjoyable people in the whole world to be around. And it's like, give me a room full of pagans over a room full of Christians. Because they are so stinking grumpy. And, and it's like, what happened to you guys? I mean, what happened from the time when Christ came in your life and freed you from all this bondage and sin and gave you this ticket to heaven and you felt like, you know, what happened? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I just can't figure it out. It breaks my heart. It has to break the heart of Christ. It breaks my heart. And I, I think part of it is they've not just intentionally said, we're not going to be grumpy people here. We are not going to be a church that turns crusty and cranky and you know judgmental and legalistic and but just let the let the love of Christ overflow in you and and um, and and people will start to find that out and they'll want to be here because there's not a lot of places that that uh, that have that kind of love and then love love one another you know you you know, Roxanne, you said, this, you know, this transition time, we've drawn closer, and I, and I think that's so true. And uh, I, I want to just encourage you to continue to do that, that, that you, you love one another, you look out for one another's needs, even on Sunday, even though we're a smaller group. Look, look to how, how can you show love to, to one another? It's easy to come in and go out and, and, and carry the burden with you and that kind of thing, but, but to really make sure you're connecting and um, I think what's going to happen, hopefully like next week, um, you'll invite some, some friends, maybe some people that have left through this transition time. And let me, let me just say this. Some, some have, and some will, will come back, and some won't. Some have connected in another place, and that's fine. Some have not yet. And, and it'll be easy to go, ah, you, you guys left us, you know, and, and you can kind of like, who here now, they come back kind of thing. You could act that way toward them. But here's what I would tell you: when with your spiritual life, with your family, whatever, you got to do what you got to do. And and some people during a, during a transition time, they just they got to do what they got to do. They've got to go to a different church. They've got to go to a place that that their needs are met or their family's needs are met. And that's okay. Um, the other churches aren't our enemy. They're not our competition. We're all in a part of the same kingdom. We're gonna live for eternity together. So they just went to a different level, tribe of the family kind of thing, whatever. It's the ones that we're worried about are the ones that dropped off and are going nowhere. And, and, I mean, but if they walk in the door, man, love them. 
just love them. Let, welcome them back. Love them. Whether they join you forever, for a week, or whatever, just, just, just show love to them. Continue to show love. I, I, there's a, a lady early in our ministry. I think I was like 26 years old when we first took our first church. and It's in Oklahoma, actually, where Jared and Haley are from. And uh, there was a lady there named Elsie. A good Oklahoma name, Elsie. And her husband's name was Floyd. Floyd and Elsie. And um, everybody back then, because I was like 26, everybody seemed old. She probably wasn't as old as I am now, but she seemed old back then. But uh, she would come by herself every Sunday. And every in those days, you go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, and that's how you knew you were really spiritual. And uh, <laughs> and she would come, and she would she'd come about a few minutes early, and then when it was time to leave, she would come, she would leave like almost immediately. And she sat with a couple other ladies that did something that used to drive me crazy. You might try this on Jared every now and again. When the, when the sermon got going too long, and it, for then it, then it was from eleven o'clock to noon. When it got noon. One lady would get her keys and ring them. <laughs> Sit in the backseat and ring her keys. And um, I thought I'd maybe ring in her neck a time or two, but she'd ring her keys. But um, Elsie then would leave after she rang the keys. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, Elsie, be that way. But she was always happy and smiling and all that kind of thing. And, and what I didn't recognize and find out until till later on when I talked to her is, is her husband was not a Christian. Her husband would, and she didn't drive, her husband would bring her to church. Let her off to, for church. He'd go get breakfast, and then he'd pick her up at 12, and she had to be back at 12 or else. And we never found out what else was, whether you know, that means he's going to make her walk home or he's, you know, whatever, he's going to beat the tar out of her. I don't know what, what that is. But she would never find out what the, or else would be. So she had to leave right then. As I got to know her a little bit more, I found out she had two children, adult children. One was a, a, a daughter who was severely handicapped, both mentally and physically. And they had her in a, in a special care facility. And every day, she would go and visit her. And um, every day possible, she'd go visit her. Sometimes at lunch and whatever. They had a son who was um, okay mentally and physically. But back in the 60s, I don't know if some of you that are old as me, you might remember there was a there was a a group of of uh, uh, I don't know what you would call them um, the SDS and those guys they were, they were war protesters and counter revolutionaries and they they shot and killed a number of highway patrolmen in in Northern California in the Oakland area and her son was a part of this group and and they never knew for sure if he actually was one that helped pull the trigger but he was with this group and he was arrested with them and by close proximity he was thrown into San Quentin with a life sentence for murder and um, they would travel from Oklahoma to, to Northern California every summer for about two weeks 10 to 10 to 14 days travel time to visit with him they'd get a motel and they would wait until visiting hours every day and they would visit him and then they would come home they would not see him again for the next year one one day uh after they came back, I said, hey, how, how's, your, how's your son doing? How'd that go? And with tears in her eyes, said, he, he wouldn't see us. Well, what do you mean he wouldn't see us? He wouldn't see us. He, he, for some reason, was so mad at us, he would not let us visit him. And we sat out every day um, in the waiting room, 
with a with a request to see him, and every day it was the same thing. No, and we sat there till visiting hours were over. We went back to our motel, had dinner, did it again the next day, and the next day, the next day, until we had to come back. Tears in her eyes. I don't know what we've done. I just all we do is love him. Not long after that, a couple months later, he was shot in prison with a zip gun, homemade gun, with a bullet wrapped and covered in human feces that um, lodged in him. Infection set out, and he was he was basically on his, his deathbed. And they they had to take a special trip out there, and they. Uh, they, they, they went and sat, and he was unconscious for a while. And while he was unconscious, they could sit by his bed during visiting hours and just watch over him. Um, they were there for about a month. He finally regained consciousness. One of his first words to them was, I don't want to see you. I don't know why you're here. And um, heartbroken, they left and came back. She was telling me all about this. Tears in her eyes, sitting in my office. And uh, I just finally said, Elsie, how in the world do you make it? How in the world? I mean, you show up with a smile and everything's great. And you look at other people. But your husband doesn't support you in, in your faith, your daughter, your son, what you've gone through. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor Don, Without the love of God, and without the love of this church, I couldn't make it. I couldn't make it. Here I am, just a young pastor, coming out of seminary thinking, you know, you have all these answers. And I, and I just sat there. And, and there was like a bell dinging in my head when she said that. If, if people could just, if that could be church for people, if they could say about our church, if they could say about one, if not for the love of God, and for the love of those people. I don't know how I'd make it. I, I can make it because of the love of God's people. I can make it because of the love that's abounding. I know God's love because I know those people who show love. Paul said, may your love just abound. May it just abound. That that, that could be the testimony of everyone sitting here today, as well as those that are out there. That the love of God about the love of that church. I don't know how I'd make it. One other thing about love. I want to encourage you to, uh, next week, you just saw him on the video. Jared and Haley. I don't know Haley that well. I know, I've known Jared for, for a while. Jared's a big guy. And, he, and the reason he's big, he's like me, he likes to eat. But the reason he's big is because he has to be big for his heart to fit. He has a huge heart. It is humongous. You will you will wonder about some things with him. You know, he's he's uh there'll be days like any of us. So, you know, sometimes our messages are better than others. There there are days that when um, you're gonna go, I'm not sure that was a really good decision that you made. You know, there are days when you're kinda like that wasn't really funny, Jared, but okay, try, keep going. You know, there's there's gonna be all kinds but I'll tell you one thing, I don't think you'll have a day when you question whether he loves you or not. I, I just don't think that'll happen. The dude is full of love. If, if nothing else, that's what he's going to bring here. That's what he'll bring to the community. And, um, and I'll remind him, and I, I've already reminded him. He's asked me, well, what do you think one needs? I think, 
They need you loving them. I think that's what they need. And, um, and I'll remind them, that's the best thing a pastor can do is to love his people, love his community. And I just want to encourage you, if, if there's going to be all this abounding love, to, to love him and Haley. Love them back. And, and, and that doesn't mean, you know, just smile, but it, it means, it means to, to verbally or with actions show them that love. And I know there's a, you know, there's a trust thing and all this kind of that. I just, I'm just telling you, 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 can, uh, you, can, you can start loving him. He's going to be easy to love. And so, you know, say things to him that, that are loving, you know. Uh, thank you, thank you for ministering with us. Thank you for accepting this call. Thank you for, thank you for that message, you know, after the service. Thank you, the, you know, the re, it, it touched me by such and such. You know, it, I'm not going to be grumpy because, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> or, you know, pull something out of the message that lets them know you heard it. Or, or, uh, or, or just let them in, in different ways know that, that, that you care. I, I came across uh, a little article on the internet the other day. is by, uh, I can't think of the guy's name. Yeah, I'll remember it. Tim. Who's Tim the marriage guy? No, I'll remember eventually. But he, he quotes um, Peter Drucker, who's a leadership management guy, that says the four most difficult jobs. Ready for this? President of the United States, university president, hospital administrator, and pastor of a local church. Foremost, <laughs> foremost, and you're going, really? I think it's like a pretty, pretty cushy job to me. You, know, you only work one day a week. My father-in-law, <laughs> you only work Wednesdays and Sundays. What's the deal, you know? And uh, I, I wish it were that easy, but it, if it were that easy, then there wouldn't be thousands of pastors every year dropping out of the ministry and quitting churches. It's, it's not an easy thing to try to be able to juggle everything in, in, in ministry. And, and, um, and so this guy says, you know, there's, there's just a climate of skepticism and criticism that happens in our culture, period, but it happens in our churches as well. And so he just he listed like 20 things of ways to encourage your pastor. Let me read you a couple of them in case these might this might be. Hey, I can do that. Number one, surprise him and his wife by taking them out to a nice place to eat. You know, like Chick Fil A. And, <laughs> and uh, and this is the best part. Talk with them about something other than your problems. That would be a nice gift. Um, schedule a Sunday when when uh, they don't have to preach. Either you know either you. You take over it yourself, or you invite a guest speaker, or you invite, if you remember, remember me, you know, invite me back, and I'll, and then and give them the weekend off, give them a long weekend, and go, you know, go with your wife and, and enjoy that uh, that time. Find out some books or periodicals that they like and that he wants for his library, and give them as a gift. Um, write him a handwritten a note of appreciation. Pray for him daily. Um, occasionally send them a clever cartoon or joke that mirrors a point that you made, that he made in a sermon. That can be kind of good, kind of not so good. One thing, one thing don't do here, and this is just me, but I think don't, don't just give him cheesy pastor stuff. You know, like we get, I don't want, maybe you do this, I don't want to offend you well, I'm already, I'm already down the road, so I might as well. <laughs> and you don't have to ever see me again after today, so that's kind of, you know. Just don't give, you know, like like these little, like, 
you know, a little picture of, of Pastor, you are special, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da kind of things. Um, because it's just like, anyway, never mind. Give them something, you know, give them something like golf balls. You know, give, you know, give, give, give them a fishing pole or a lure or something, you know, that kind of thing. Because, you know, pastors don't just kind of walk around on the cloud. They, they're regular people. This is my favorite one, especially for Jared. Help him get some exercise. <laughs> By either meeting with him three or four times a week at a health club or jogging with him in the morning. Yeah, let me know how that would go. So. <laughs> and this, this one, I guess, is, is, is I have this one starred. Don't forget your pastor's wife. She may make many sacrifices also in giving up her husband to ministry opportunities, send her notes of appreciation, flowers, gift certificate, express gratitude for the part she plays in the teamwork. And, and I would just say this, and, and Lori probably would reiterate it, and she probably wants, would like me to say it more. Um, as difficult as it is to be a pastor, the, I think the most difficult thing in the whole world is to be a pastor's wife. I think that's the most difficult role in the world. And, uh, and they're often glossed over or underappreciated or, uh, or not recognized or whatever. And, and I know for me, um, Lori doesn't get nearly the attention nor the credit, but, uh, you know, I'd be, you know, I'd be laying in a corner somewhere, twiddling my thumbs and playing a ukulele or something if, if Lori didn't keep me on track with stuff. And so, you know, appreciate your pastor's wife as well. Just let love abound. Let love abound. So I'm, I'm kind of, I need to hurry up. I'd spent more time on that now, but I think out of that prayer, that's the main thing. Make love abound. Second thing, though, he says is uh, focus on what is best. Um, I think the prayer is, is give wisdom to discern um, what's good compared to what's the best. Um, approve the excellent, one version says. Um, approve the, the primary as opposed to the secondary. Have wisdom to know the difference between the two. Um, I, I pray that God would give you wisdom to be able to, to know the difference between the, the secondary things of life and the primary thing. Uh, the heartbeat of God versus our heartbeat. I mean, the question I, I was kind of challenged with the other day as I was looking at this is, is, is um, what, what, uh, is what, is what makes God's heart move the same thing that makes my heart move? Is, uh, am I passionate for God's things. The same thing that makes him passionate is that what makes me passionate. Well, you know, I can list things about what I'm passionate for and, it, and, it, and it's a little bit different, frankly, than what God's passionate for. I mean, John 3.16, God's God so loved the world. You know, that's what he's, he's passionate for, this globe called the world. Don so loved me. You know, that's, that's what I'm passionate for, me. I, I love me. Sure, you can't relate to that because you don't love me like I love me, but maybe you love <coughs> yourself like that. But I mean, I don't even have to wake up in the morning and remind myself that I'm passionate about myself. It's it's just a natural thing. It just comes. What do you what do you want to do today, Don? You know, what do you got going? What about, you know? It's all it all just focuses on me. I I have to. I, every now and again, you know, I mean, it all, something shakes me all of a sudden, and I'm I'm passionate about 
everyone in the world like God is, at least the ones in my family, you know, and so I'll be nice for one day to my wife and children, and uh, they'll say, let's mark this down, maybe it can happen again next year, you know, it's a free, but otherwise it's, it's just kind of me, or maybe I'll have this big spiritual revival going on in my mind, woo, yeah, okay, I'm going to love everybody in the universe, at least the ones that like me, and the ones I like, and the ones that are like me, actually, those would be, that would be good too, and and uh, and I, I lose outside that God so loved the world. And you have wisdom to know the God agenda versus your agenda and make the decision right with that. His agenda is that he gave his own son for this whole world. The whole incarnation thing, going to the cross. And, and, and that no one should perish and live everlasting. So you're going to be making decisions as a church some of them kind of coming up pretty quick. You've got a new pastor coming. He's going to sit you down. You're going to be having the strategy sessions and that kind of stuff. You're going to be talking about remodeling this place and what it looks like. And if you sit in a corner and you start arguing and fighting over the color of the flooring, let me just tell you, that's the lesser <laughs> things. That's secondary. And it's easy to kind of, kind of laugh about that, but... That's what churches split over. They don't split over doctrine. They don't split over truth. They split over the color of the wallpaper. You know? And so if you sit there and you start arguing, I want blue and he wants green and she wants yellow, or what, you, you are on secondary things. But if you're arguing about, is this space good enough for our kids that they might know about Jesus and that they might bring families in here, and that, that's a good thing to struggle with. Is this place you know, going to going to be able to, to hold a, 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 a group of people that worship, those kind of things. Will people come in here and be loved with abounding love? Those kind of things. You struggle with those. Know the difference between the primary and the secondary, between what me likes versus what so loved the world God loves. So I, I pray to have wisdom. Third thing, pure and blameless. Yikes. I pray that you will be pure and blameless. And you're like, okay, how's that work? And uh, who's pure and blameless? Can you think of anyone? Uh, Jesus. We're in church. Jesus is that way. Um, the the purity is is the is the part of our relationship with Him that comes through His grace, and the blood on the cross, and that the idea of purity is, is they would hold up a a jar with jelly to the sunlight. And if there was impurities, if it was cloudy, they would know that it, it was not good or was not ready yet. If it was clear, then it was, it was good. And, and um, I pray that, that you would hold your life up to the sunlight, to the S-O-N light, that, that his purity would be your purity, that, that, you could, that you measure yourself him, that reminds you all the time that you're not perfect, that you need a savior, and that you go back to the cross again. And that every Sunday when you break the bread and you bring the cup, that you're going to that, to that window of purity, that, Lord, I need your righteousness. Because I'm not. blameless is, is what goes before other people. Uh, blameless is what your reputation is to others. Blameless is, well, you say you're on purity, but you live this way. You know, how many people talk about Christians being hypocrites? Or, or how many people have been hurt by Christians or hurt by churches? May you be blameless. May, may people say, you, you, over, you have this overabundant love. You have this abounding love that is, is the love of Christ. May they, may they just say, you know, you've, 
you've, you've focused on the, on the majors, not the minors. You're, you're making decisions that are, that are God's heartbeat. And, and may they say, what we see in your life is consistent. Your love spreads out and touches. May you know the purity and the blamelessness of the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ. Every time you gather, the presence of Christ is here. May people recognize that in you, see that in you. Then the last thing is, is fruit. May you be fruitful. It's the fruit that brings glory to God, Paul says. Uh, Jesus said this, um, that, that you will bring glory to God through, through your fruit, through the fruit of your, of your life, which they'll also know you are my disciples by, the, by that fruit. In, in John, the 15 chapters, he kind of lays that. It's what brings the glory to God. When they, he sees your fruitfulness, I just pray that this will be a fruitful place. I just pray that that there will be um, over and over and over again, just just it's like this flywheel that just starts to to turn and turn, and the momentum starts to build and build, and people's lives start to change, and marriages start to get stronger and better, and, and children start to to know Jesus, and teenagers start to turn their hearts over. To, Christ, and they start to stand up and, and, and be the young men and young women that God's calling them to be. And I, I just pray that that the, that love just starts to to unfold, that it starts to seep out beyond these walls into the, into the community of Queen Creek and Santan Valley, and and that there's just fruit everywhere. People look around and just see the fruit, and 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 they see what you're doing, and they don't just say, "Wow, isn't that great? Isn't Jared a great pastor? Or isn't isn't one a great church?" They, they instead say, "Isn't God a great God?" We see what God's look what God has done with these people. They were on the brink of, of non-existence. And just like he resurrected his son, he resurrected his son's body, the church. And what can he do for us? What can he do for our lives? May they see that fruit. When I was a kid, my my dad brought home a pomegranate tree from my grandpa, who uh they had a bunch of pomegranates in their yards in San, San Fernando Valley, Silmar, California. We used, to, we used to love to go pick those big old pomegranates. In fact, my cousins would take it and squish it all, the red stuff all over their hands and come back and freak my grandma out and say, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding, you know, and she'd get up. But uh, I, not, one of my favorite fruit, pomegranates, my dad brought this little plant home and he goes, Grandpa has given this to you and it's going to grow and as it grows, you, it'll have pomegranates and you'll remember Grandpa. And um, I remember that, that little pomegranate bush every year it grew a little bit more and grew a little bit more, and it had like zilch fruits, zero, nothing. And I just like, I remember Grandpa giving me this barren tree. That's what I remember, Grandpa kind of thing. It's like what? And 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 no one could appreciate a fruit tree that doesn't give fruit. Pete sakes. And then one year it started getting little blossoms. I'm going, there's hope, no fruit, but there's blossoms. About the time I was in high school, finally these little itty bitty pomegranates about that big came out. You couldn't even open them up without crushing the whole thing. Did. And then after I'd gone off to college, I came back home to visit. There was actually some pomegranates. This was like 10 years later or whatever. Big old pomegranates that you could eat off. And by then, my grandpa was dead. But I'd still pull the fruit off, and I'd remember grandpa. And I remember being at his house. And I remember all the fun that, you know, I remember grandpa. And uh, made people pick the fruit that happens at this church. And remember our Father in Heaven. Remember what He does for us.